Yeah. yeah. What role do you think plastics are, have played as far as the environment outside? Well, you know, we didn't look at things um, that I think would be especially affected by plastics. The turtles, potentially. Um, what I've seen is some horrific um, uh, work that Jean-Michel Cousteau has done in the northern Hawaiian Islands, where it is, you know, just about as remote as anywhere you can get, and there's just reefs and reefs of plastic. And when he's dissected all the dead birds that he finds there, their stomachs are literally just filled with plastic. And a lot of it is, uh, I forget what they call it, nurdles or something like that. Is that these little, they're, they're basically raw plastic that's, that's used to make, you know, companies will get big bins of these little plastic balls that then can be melted down and molded in anything. Well, if that dumps off a ship somewhere, it just floats around and looks like great feed to seabirds. And so for a long time, I thought that littering and, and trash was just sort of one of these aesthetic things that was, it looked bad, but it wasn't that bad a deal. But when I saw Jean Michel's footage of how damaging actual ocean trash that gets dumped off of cruise ships and Navy ships and, and, um, and shipping uh, uh, ships, uh, it really impressed me that that is a huge problem. The, the they dump their fishing nets off as well. And, and the nets are a huge, I mean, he showed just, I mean, way above your head, just miles and miles of just fishing net washed up on short plastic And also nets. they, um, for example, in Ecuador, and uh, the beach, I, I went to a very far away beach. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, uh, no people that can use uh, how they say diapers for children or mm -hmm. whatever, mm -hmm. yeah. and uh, it was completely isolated. You can see a lot of this trash because they come in and throw all the trash in the mm. ocean, or you know, in South America. It's so sad. Yeah. I yeah. mean, that nothing to do with that uh, area because they don't yeah. have these uh, modern things, you know, plastic, big uh, plastic things for water, and, yeah. and you see all floating there, you know, it's yeah. so sad. Well, that's the thing, the ocean just carries it everywhere. Yeah. You hadn't mentioned anything about like agricultural land in terms of the pollutants from that. I'm looking at the Sea of Cortez and I guess the state of Sonora there, I think our, a lot of our winter vegetables come from one, yeah. that area, Los Mochis. I don't know how long that's been in there. Huge, huge problem there. You mentioned agricultural runoff. The sites where we were were largely on the uh, west side of the Sea of Cortez, and especially in the east and the northeast side of the Sea of Cortez, which is connected to mainland Sonora, and also the you know where the Colorado River Delta comes out as just a trickle of water left. I think runoff issues are very big there. And also, I think localized in places like Cabo San Lucas, which is not so much agriculture, but sewage waste. And um, the site that they mentioned where they said it's a textbook exhibit for ecologists was Puerto Escondido, which is a, still a very small town, but it just gets filled with, with yachts. And I think that they just dumped their waste right there in this very protected cove, Puerto Escondido. And, um, and that site is very depauperate now. We were really surprised when we got there because they just thought that site was incredible and we hardly saw anything. And, I, and it really looks like sort of a silted up kind of dead area. So there's local issues and I think the agriculture is, um, is a big problem there. Yeah. It, it, it's incredible to me how rapid uh, the, the total response was from the discovery of the chlorine cycle mm -hmm. to the 
an implementation of a solution politically. Yeah. And uh, I, I wonder to what extent that's been studied as, as kind of a model of, uh, or is that just a special case? Well, it's, it's both. I, I've studied it quite a bit in thinking about climate change because a lot of my research has been linking the natural world to climate change. And I felt like when you look at climate change, the usual story is some computer model and it has some line and you don't know what it means and anyone can say, well, that's just a bunch of computers. But not just myself, but other researchers that I know and have worked with and gone to conferences with, when we put all our stories together, I say, well, you know, I show this complete change in a, in a seaside community. And then my friend Alan Pounds from Costa Rica comes up and says, well, look at this beautiful golden toad. It is extinct in the world now, and it's because of climate change, because it only lived in Costa Rica in these cloud forests. And as the cloud forests moved up the mountain because of climate warming, there's no more habitat for this toad. And I felt like when you put enough of those stories together and, and when my family calls me about climate change they don't say oh I heard the latest computer model says that it's going to be 5.7 degrees warmer in a hundred years they say did you see this footage of these polar bears swimming around that have nowhere to go I think these real-world stories even if they are animals not people are much more touching to people and, and encourage them to action much more Joe Lieberman the senator just had a hearing, I think this week, or else it'll be th this coming week, on um, natural systems and their responses to climate change. And, and what you're seeing is these stories all over the world. So it's not just my tide pools, and it's not just the frogs in Costa Rica, but it's, it's butterflies in Europe, and polar bears, and penguins in South America. And so we just see more and more evidence building up. It doesn't have that same zing that the ozone layer did, but remember, ozone and chlorofluorocarbons, the things destroying ozone, are much easier to deal with because industry already had a substitute. Now, we have substitutes for fossil fuels, but it's a lot harder to replace them than it was to replace CFCs in our refrigerators and that kind of thing. So there's also a huge economic um, uh, inertia to get over. And so, um, a lot of what you see as sort of resistance to the idea of climate change is really resistance to the potential, the fear of economic change or, or, or social change that's going to come with that. It's not, it's not really, oh, I, I can't imagine that we can change the, the atmosphere. There's just too much evidence now. But, yeah. I've been keeping my son's dog for three weeks, which has placed me out walking all over Carborough. <laughs> and I have been so disappointed. You would think that in Carborough there'd be a greater <laughs> regard mm -hmm. for the environment. And it's just, there's litter everywhere. Yeah. Just disgusting oh, litter. Oh. Or just, you know, it's just amazing to me. If we, and it makes me wonder, are we doing anything in our community to, to encourage an appreciation for the environment that we have right here with us? I mean, to me, it, that's just sort well, of fundamental to the, the entire understanding of taking care of our world. When I came back from a year in, in Washington where I thought, oh, I really could make a difference in Washington because that's where policy gets done, I really left there with a feeling like, no, you really have to do everything at the 
the local level and uh -huh. the regional level and um, so I came back to California and you know got into cleaning up a creek in, in Los Angeles one of the last remaining creeks in Los Angeles that was running through UCLA and if you notice what's going on with climate change, it didn't start at the Capitol. It started mm -hmm. in individual cities that passed resolutions and then uh, states like California and Massachusetts started. So it's all starting from the, from the bottom up and it's the same kind of thing with, with litter or any environmental problem. It seems like the real action comes when enough people care at the local level and start doing something and then they can build into coalitions and, and build up into you know bigger solutions at a bigger scale we often want to jump right to the top level and say okay well the UN can get together and, and stop and in some cases like like the ozone thing that was a real help so I think you know you need to show that there's enough interest at that local level and then maybe the people on high will listen and make something happen but, uh, but also we, we are lucky to have places like Chicli that, you know, for this kind of talk for people and, and no more what is going on. Yeah. Really? It's so nice. You want to say something? Oh, my daughter Ella wants to say something. Okay. Um, I think out west is aquarium and if you look on your computers, you see there's a movie about octopus eating a sock. Oh yeah. Showed her a movie. There's a there's a great movie from the Seattle Aquarium where they had put a uh, this is why I love octopuses. They're incredible. They put an octopus temporarily into their big tank and um, they were a little afraid the octopus might get eaten by the sharks. What they started noticing is every day they'd come in and there'd be a dead shark at the bottom of the tank all mangled up. So they filmed it one night. You can you can get this on the internet. And they filmed it, and the octopus actually stalks and attacks the shark and kills the shark, <laughs> which you wouldn't believe. But when you see the movie, it's quite incredible. <laughs> I want to see that movie too. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah. Thank what you. about global fishing controls? Okay. Is that one more thing. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Getting better or worse? Um, getting is our global fishing controls getting better or worse? So I have a couple of my students here. What do you guys think? <laughs> oh God, no. <laughs> All the successful ones are again the, what you were saying, the local ones, like the yeah. fish in Alaska. That was local. Those, those fishermen saying these are our fish. We ha we have the ability to do something about it, and they did something about it. But nobody told them to do it. It didn't come down. It seems like almost the resistance is higher up with climate change and everything. It's, yeah, it's us pushing up. I mean. Bush finally mentioned that he thinks the climate's changed, what, like two weeks ago? Yeah. Like, really? Oh my god. And in the so. fishing, you know, it's an interesting case. The, the U.S. actually has taken some leadership in international mm -hmm. fishing. So recently we went to the U.N. Um, with, with the Bush administration support and said we want a ban on high seas bottom trawling which is this really destructive trawling uh, in open water that doesn't belong to any country so any fleet can come in and it just destroys the whole bottom takes all this bycatch and it's really not that economically valuable but despite that Canada and several European nations blocked us in the UN and, and really watered down those regulations. So in some cases we've gone to the table ahead of the curve and we've had a lot of discussions about that. If we don't take international leadership on things like climate change, we can't expect, expect to get the support from international partners on things like fishing. So it, it sort of all goes hand in hand. So. Yeah. 
You want to say something else? My corporation don't see the effects of their corporate. Does anybody know who? Sorry, the guys studied lots of animals, but he got seen by a big man doing. Oh, who got scared by Steve Irwin? Yeah, but he's only valuable now. Including Walmart. Yeah, including Walmart. So it turns out Sam Walton's kids are really big into the environment, <laughs> his grandkids, and they they have come to us and you know they want to buy all sustainable fish for their markets, which are going to be the biggest markets in the world, but there's not enough sustainably caught fish to fill the Walmart market. So they're trying to navigate those those waters, so to speak. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the movie called um, La Pesadilla oh, de Darwin. No. Uh, it's the Lago de Victoria and uh -huh. Tanzania, Tanzania. Oh yeah. Is it very Lake Victoria. Very well uh, known now everywhere. Anyway, I, w I went to Barcelona and I was amazed about the fish there in the mm -hmm. market and I cooking fish for my, my children almost every day until I saw that. Oh. And I feel so sad. I mean, this is a movie that you should see that. It's sort of the whole. Excellent. This is about a lake in uh, Tanzania. Tanzania. Yeah. Uh, that it used to have all the uh, more uh, beautiful and variety of different kind of. Mm -hmm. And um, the company from uh, some company from Europe came and put some kind of fish and destroy all the. Uh, the yeah, natural the fish that was there, species. and they have this big fish that they sell to Europe, and uh, the people in, in the area dying because they don't have uh, the fish that they used to have. And but this is a really good documentary to see. Yeah, it's Darwin's I don't know how, how they say that in English. Um, Dar Darwin's yeah, Darwin. Uh, yeah, Darwin. Yeah, it's made by a French guy. Hmm. It's very good. Yeah. Daddy, one day at my school, I want you to do what you did at the play. Oh, I will. Sometimes you sell <laughs> the beats. Yes, I will come in and show pictures. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> Thank you.